taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina and Ronan, Montana, we're bringing you the word of the Lord today. Today we're coming from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, which says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Hello, and I'm member Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, hello to you, our listeners out there, uh, praying for you. We've been praying, uh, praying that this podcast blesses you and blesses your uh, uh, daily walk with Christ. Um, question, did you know that uh, you're part of the Bellator Christie family and even more? the greater family of Christ. We thank you for engaging with us and listening and uh, share, share this podcast with your, with your friends, your family, uh, get this out there, rate us, review us, um, help us get this podcast up, up higher on the, on the format. We've been doing this summer series um, and uh, I hope you've been riding along with us and, uh, and enjoying the time. You know, we, we, uh, we do on Bellator Christie as, as a ministry, we, we choose to reach further in our theological understandings and our and our uh, scholastic understandings as far as being able to talk um, about things at a higher level and then bring them down to where we can actually have a conversation where just we can normal people can just interact uh, with each other and actually understand what's going on and I sure hope that uh, some of this stuff is is actually blessing you, and you're actually able to understand and hear and and know what we're talking about. And if you're not, um, don't feel um, don't feel like you're uh, stuck in the bushes or stuck in the weeds. Um, just email us and and ask us questions. Engage with us um, if there's something you need to have cleared up, clarification on uh, on any subject or any topic. We can certainly do it. Um, uh, anyway, uh, let's get rolling today. We got a, a good special guest on here today. Um, once you, uh, we're gonna have welcome on Brian, and uh, then he can introduce our guest. So, hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis. How are the um, how are the fires over out west and the smoke that way? Well, I, the smoke sure rolls into the valleys here and here uh, quite often. And uh, today it was it was all right. It wasn't as bad as yesterday. Yesterday we couldn't. Uh, I honestly thought we were living in South Dakota. I couldn't, couldn't see any mountains anywhere, and it was flat as a pancake out there. Is what it looked like. But wow. uh, um, yeah, it's been it's been terrible. Um, Washington, Oregon. There's some fires up around us, up northern, up north of us, a little ways. And uh, so yeah, it's um, boy when them lightning storms come in, man, it just tears a lot of stuff up. So especially mm-hmm. when they're dry lightning. So. We're certainly we're certainly praying for you guys and everyone out west. Right, as, thank uh, you. We we caught a uh, the jet stream hit just right the last week and uh, uh, we caught a bunch of smoke down here and my mm. heart went out for you guys because yep. if it was if it was that bad in the southeast I can't even imagine what it was like for you guys oh, yeah. up there in Montana. Yeah. But we it have smells a, like campfire, you know. 
<laughs> well, for me, I like a good campfire. So you just get the marshmallows out, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There ain't nothing to roast them on. <laughs> well, it is my distinct honor and privilege to welcome on uh, with us today uh, not only a, a great scholar but a great friend. Uh, we're welcoming on T.J. Gentry, Dr. T.J. Gentry. Uh, and I got to say, T.J. is very humble, but he is very scholarly. He has more degrees than his own thermometer. He has uh, five doctorate degrees, I think working on his fifth doctorate degree, and six master's degree. And I just realized that I'm never going to come close to that. <laughs> but he is also the uh, pastor of the First Christian Church in West Frankfort, Illinois. So, TJ, welcome on board to the Bellator Christie Podcast. Uh, Brian, thank you. It is great to be with you and great to be with you, Curtis. Uh, I love Bellator Christie, and, and I count you, Brian, not only as a very capable scholar, but a dear friend. And Curtis, I trust that'll be the same of you over time. We'll get to know each other. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, welcome aboard. I'm glad to have you on. And Cur- Curtis, let me say also, he has a very sharp mind and is a very, has a very humble spirit. So he, he is a, a wonderful addition to the Bellator Christie family, and we're so thankful for him. Um, in addition, uh, Dr. Gentry is also a prolific writer. He actually wrote a book called Pulpit Apologist, uh, The Vital Link Between Preaching and Apologetics. And so uh, that's going to be kind of the discussion we're going to have today. Uh, so first and foremost, what is the aim of your book, pulpit apologist and who is the target audience well the the aim of pulpit apologist was first of all very personal uh, i wanted to spend some time thinking more deeply and intentionally about how apologetics related to uh, my ministry in the pulpit uh, this summer marks my 37th year in pulpit ministry wow and i have increasingly found the level of skepticism, not only outside the church, but even within the church, uh, rising uh, and, and growing, I would dare say, exponentially at times. And so I, I wanted to say, hey, how can I integrate the defense of the faith into my preaching? And then, and then once, I, once I knew what I was after for myself, I realized, you know, I'm probably not the only person that needs to think about this. And so my audience primarily are those who are regularly engaged in preaching, in pulpit ministry. Uh, secondarily, anybody who's interested in ways to integrate apologetics into how they make disciples, how they evangelize. But I'm, I'm really focusing on bringing uh, a, a spotlight on the role of apologetics in the pulpit, in the Sunday morning worship mm. event. What does that look like? Mm. That's great. That's fantastic when you think about it. Um, you know, how many how many teachers? I'm I'm blessed. I'll just say I'm blessed with some amazing pastors that have have uh, that I've been involved with that are um, they they do do a lot of apologetics um, <laughs> and in in multiple different ways. But it it uh, I'm telling you it's a small group. It's a small group of people, small group of pastors that actually do that around this, around the area, even around, uh, the, in the West, um, you could say, you know, um, and I think it's, I, I do believe that it needs to be, uh, brought in and focused in because there's something about being able to preach the word, but there's also something about being able to 
to give the stability of what you're teaching uh, based upon the, the, the actual facts and the truths of the scriptures. Yeah, if I might add that, you know, verse that Brian opened the show with is actually mm -hmm. the, the dedicatory verse that I use in the book to uh, a young aspiring uh, pastor apologist. And mm. I, I can't think of a single time in my ministry as I reflect back over these these decades of privileged service, I count it such a joy to have served and to continue to serve, when preaching and apologetics actually did go together. I just wasn't aware of it at times. So it's, it's such, so, so important. Mm. Now, Curtis, you brought up a good point. You know, you're talking about out west and, and how individuals view apologetics. I, I'm kind of curious because I know in the southeast, um, we, we face a similar situation in in sections in the more urban areas. It seems like they're more open to you know um, apologetics, but now in more rural areas, it seems like it's the same. It's the same fashion. I'm I'm, I'm mm -hmm. curious, TJ. What does it look like in your area? Are there many people using apologetics in the church, or is it something kind of like what you know Curtis and I are facing, where it's kind of a uh, small minority. I, I think by and large it's a small minority here where I'm at in the Midwest, um, in the heartland. I I think that that the this probably would bear out in both of your scenarios. I, I don't know that I know a single minister who doesn't want to be able to defend their faith, but mm -hmm. so much ministry training is compartmentalized. And you learn preaching over here, and you learn Bible over here, and you got church history here, and you need some counseling. And oh, we want to make sure we give you an apologetics course, uh, which I think is a fundamental failure of of the, the seminary model in the U.S. and, and yeah. possibly more broadly, I can speak to the U.S. There's no idea that counseling and 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 evangelism and discipleship, all of that relates to apologetics because there's never a single time when you're not trying to give a reason to somebody. So I don't know that it's that the ministers here don't care. Um, I think that they just don't think how important it is. Now, I will say this, that that option to not necessarily be intentional about integrating, it is fading quickly because we are increasingly seeing the need, not just for evangelism mm. and apologetics, but most people sitting in the congregation on a given Sunday could not defend their most fundamental beliefs outside of a mere assertion. Mm. And that won't carry people through for long. Oof. Yeah. Very true. So, so you'll see, you know, if you were to ask somebody, you know, speaking not necessarily in our little pockets, but even across the the nation. If you were to ask somebody that says they were a Christian and they were walking out of a church with their Bible, what are the chances that you're going to find somebody that could actually defend what they're holding in their hand? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think sadly, uh, outside of personal testimony, which which I'm not discounting. Mm -hmm. uh, personal testimony it's it's there, there aren't many folks who can walk you through a basic apologetic defense of the fundamentals of their faith and i think that's a that, that's failing of ministers yeah equipping the flock to do the work of ministry and fails mm -hmm. apologetics it, it has to that's mm -hmm. a responsibility we carry yeah yeah, yeah. 
So this kind of goes into the next question. How can apologetics help preaching? Uh, how can it be of assistance to the Sunday morning sermon? Well, in, in the book I mentioned three ways, uh, and, and, and certainly there are more than three, but um, the first way that I think apologetics can be very helpful is it can help overcome obstacles to faith when we're doing evangelistic preaching. And I, and I do believe that we need to be not, not just intentional about evangelizing, but evangelistic preaching. We need to think, what does it look like to structure a message that is geared toward evangelism, that is, that's, that's purpose is primarily to engage an unbeliever. And so when you, when you have apologetics and preaching in that regard, it, it can remove obstacles. Uh, John McDowell said long ago that, that the, uh, the, the heart will never rejoice in what the mind rejects. And mm. so we have to help remove those obstacles. We, we, the only stumbling block should be the gospel. Uh, and and that one is because of its moral demands. But outside of that, we got we got to help with apologetics in evangelism. So that that's the first area. I think it also, uh, and this is probably where I spend most of my time as an apologist. Which when I tell people this, they think it's odd. It really is about helping believers overcome their own doubts. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's a direct connection between a believer's mm-hmm. confidence in Scripture and the content of their faith, and their willingness to be a bold witness, to be a moral exemplar. And if I, as a, as a minister, could stand in the pulpit and help a believer by anticipating and then helping them to remove uh, the challenges to their faith by giving them answers, I'm only going to help them be righteous. And what does the Bible say? The righteous are as bold as a lion to help them go out and, and be bold. So I think it helps overcome doubt uh, in believers. Hmm. And then I, I think that, that the, the, the other reason I mentioned in the book, and, and this one has proven more true, I would say, in the last decade of my ministry than ever before. There's a certain depth that apologetics adds to a, a, a minister's work in pastoral ministry mm-hmm. preaching is certainly not all i do but everything i do is connected to my preaching mm-hmm. and so th- the fact that i get to counsel folks on tuesday many times is because of what they heard in the pulpit on sunday and then when i evangelize on thursday it's going to relate to what i'm going to preach the following sunday and, and being able to be apologetic in the pulpit helps in all those other areas as well mm-hmm. interesting it's funny because you know um last week at, at church um i felt just this just this um prompting to get up and speak something just something powerful to the to, to the church to the congregation and i and i and i said you know this is something that has been on my mind and and it's for for a long enough, for long enough, the church has has been recognizing the Lamb, that we are following the Lamb, but we it's time that we as a church, as a bride, understand that we are being led by the Lion of Judah, that we are mm-hmm. being that He will go out and fight our battles. But we have to have the tools. We have to have the knowledge. We have to have the wisdom. We have to have the, the things to be able to help us understand that when we do wander, 
as a, even as if if you figure a lion in its natural habitat it it's it's able to defend things with uh with a veracity with a with a um with a force you know uh, it it has the tools to do that even a lion cub so even a new believer if you picture that as what i'm trying to say there even a new believer a lion cub a cub can have the tools to be able to defend itself but when a lion cub wanders out in the wilderness the rest of the the rest of the 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 animals out there in the natural wild recognize i better not mess with that lion cub because there's something bigger that's behind it <laughs> as in the lion and so it's so having the tools to be able to even if they are maybe not fully sharpened tools or, or fully um usable we don't have the might not the new believer might not have the the mind or the wherewithal to actually know how to defend uh, at least we have the tools to defend but that's given by our leaders you know or by our leader you know Christ for one but also down down downstream if we have a good pulpit ministry that actually has apologetics in it it's it's providing those tools to help us defend what we need to yeah, absolutely. I, one thing that you said that I think is interesting, Curtis, you talked about being born uh, lion cubs. Mm -hmm. So when a believer is born, when we are born again, we are born again as a warrior. We're, mm -hmm. we're, the, the question is not, will we train up warriors? The question is, how mm -hmm. will we train the warriors we have? Oh, wow. And so apologetics is fundamentally about helping people realize their identity in Christ. We are made in the image of a God who calls himself a warrior. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. It, it, it's, and it's war in the area of ideas. It's war mm -hmm. in the area of, of morality. And so I've, I've always found that people connect well with apologetics when they realize it's not something that only a few are called to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that passage in 1 Peter 3.15 is written to suffering Christians sitting in the pew. It's not mm -hmm. written to academics. Always have a reason for the hope that's in you is a every Christian message. And so mm. I, I, I think we're born warriors. Let's figure out how to fight with what we've got. Mm. Amen. Yeah. That's good. Amen. Yeah. Well, as we as we war on here, uh, in chapter in chapter one, good stuff. In chapter one, you mentioned apologetics and evangelism. Uh, you discuss the word and deed approach. So, so what is the word and deed approach, and how might this help apologetic apologetic focused evangelism? So, I think the the a good way to understand word and deed apologetics uh, in in relationship to evangelism is to think about how Patrick reached the uh, people of Ireland. So mm -hmm. you, you, you all know the story of St. Patrick. Um, he was enslaved, got his freedom, felt called to go back to Ireland. He goes back to Ireland. And how did he do the work of seeking to bring Christianity to bear on that civilization? And it did. I mean, he, he effectively won the civilization of Ireland mm -hmm. over to Christianity. And some would say that was the key to saving Western civilization from rank paganism. 
so we need a new Patrick today. But what did Patrick do? So he, he and those who were in his ministry cohort, they would go into the chieftain territory, so think towns, and they would say, how can we help with your agriculture? How can we help with your medical needs? And they would put themselves in the place of practical hands-on servants, mm-hmm. earning the right to then say, now mm-hmm. here's why we worship Christ and we don't believe the God you worship is truly God. And so the, their deeds open the opportunity for their words to follow. And then from that work of apologetics, they segue to evangelism. Evangelism led to conversions. Conversions led to churches. They trained the people to do the same thing, and then they went and did it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's word and deed evangelism. So mm-hmm. often, and word and deed apologetics, so often apologists uh, fall into this, this is only the world of ideas. Well, apologetics, the defense of the faith, is certainly about ideas, but our faith is as lived as it is taught. Mm-hmm. So we have to approach folks that way. And, and frankly, I think that the, the greatest opportunity apologetics has in the post-Christian West is we go in and we build relationships based on service and speak wow. truth, answer objections along the way. And we mm. do this word deed apologetics, uh, kind of a holistic approach. So that's what I'm talking about there. That's I, I tell you, Doctor Gentry, God was preparing me for this one because because uh, <laughs> Sunday Sunday Pastor Eric was talking about about you know we when we be, when we actually truly serve and 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 focus on servanthood. And we and we serve the community and serve the things and we get involved with the things of our community. How we're able to then be be in that world, but have a foothold in that world in a way that we've gained trust with those people. That's powerful. And Curtis, you model. Go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm just going to say, you know, in in before before the podcast, Curtis had mentioned something about being the aroma of Christ, and yeah. and and that is there's something to that, you know, because people, I mean, you don't have to really, t- you know, people can tell whether or not you truly love them or not, you know, <laughs> just get, be around them for a few minutes, and you they can right. t- they can sense it, and that's that's something in uh, you know the chaplaincy ministry I, I've seen that uh, you know people can pick up whether or not you genuinely care about them. Or not, and Absolutely. there's there's an aroma to it. Yeah, second Second Corinthians uh, two fifteen yeah. says, uh, "For we are the aroma of God, or aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing." So, yeah, that's a powerful thing. So as we interact, we give off that that aroma of life. Yeah, Th- think about what Jesus did with Nicodemus. Uh, mm-hmm. We, we pick up John chapter 3 and we read those, those very important words about why God sent his son into the world. Uh, and, and we might forget that that's an outcome of something else that had been happening between Jesus Ooh. and Nicodemus. Yeah. Jesus had been ministering and practically serving in ways that Nicodemus recognized as legitimate. And then he came and said, Tell me the why. I see the what. Tell me the why. And so John 
17 is actually Jesus' apologetic statement to Nicodemus, having given the deed, then he gave the word. So Jesus is the exemplar awesome. of that type of apologetics. Awesome. Amen. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome that you see that you, you're, you're pulling that out so we all can see that. Because as we read the scriptures, sometimes we read it so woodenly or so um, matter of fact that we forget that there's, there, there's people interaction and there's human interaction going on in the scriptures at all times. And there's people's emotions, there's people's, um, you could say presuppositions, you could say um, just raw feelings. I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's very good. Appreciate that. Amen. TJ, you also note finding common ground with a skeptic. You know, you noted in the book that you know we we live in a post everything culture, and I really like that. You know, it's post everything. Uh, <laughs> how do we find common? Where are we going to be? Where are we not going to be post nothing? <laughs> Right. I mean, how do we find common ground? I mean, even Simone, uh, what was her last name? The gymnast, uh, was it Burns? Uh, you One know, that's having the, the, the stepped away from competing because of mental health challenges right now. Yeah, so even there's a big controversy on, on uh, you know, social media. Should she have done it? Should she not have done it? And then there's a whole aspect of mental health, and, you know, and, and that's a whole other, you know, topic there in and of itself. But... You know, it, it seems like if there's anything common, it's, it's that we, we all seem, or not we all, the culture seems to disagree on about everything. So, so how do we find common ground with a skeptic in such a topsy-turvy world in which we live? Yeah, I, I think a couple of things are essential to that. And first of it, first of it has to do with the disposition. I have to cultivate a disposition that, causes me to look at someone else and really love them. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to find common ground with people I don't like because I don't want to be around them. So I have to say, God, help me to see the world the way you do mm -hmm. as people who are your children or people that you want to be your children. It really does reduce down to that. And so once I, once I determine our good God loves through me, and he loves that person that I might tend to see as an opponent. Then I've in a, I've got a good disposition to seek common ground. And once I once I'm in that place, and I have to recover it a lot because <laughs> it's easy yeah. to be mad at the unbelieving world and not like true. them. Very once true. I'm in that place, I'm able then to hear the person, and as I listen, if I will take the time to listen to their life, there is invariably going to be a point of contact. It's almost always going to be around some sense of justice, right and wrong, or suffering. There may be others. I mean, if someone says, man, I'm really interested in, in uh, the universe and the design, I mean, that's a softball they just threw it to us. Well, let's talk about cosmology. You know? <laughs> Home run hit. <laughs> yeah, but, but many times it's going to be, yeah, I don't want to hear anything about your Christianity. Well, tell me what does matter to you. Tell me about your family. I, you know, I really love my wife or boy, my, my kids have been sick. Let's talk about suffering. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about those areas and common ground. Almost always when it reduces down is going to have some moral fiber to it. What is right? What is wrong? Even if their compass is broke, 
their broken north is what they are going toward. And so that's where I find the common ground. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we hear people disparaging this language of preaching to or counseling to or evangelizing to felt needs. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'll be the first to say, if all I ever do is try to touch someone's felt needs, I'm going to have to change it all the time. But felt needs are almost always the doorway to common ground. Almost always. Because what they're wrestling with at that point is my point of entry. Mm-hmm. And that's where I can talk to them about other things if I connect with them there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, it's kind of like you go into, uh, uh, Greg Kogel's book tactics and he, and he touches on this, um, kind of like what you're saying, but he touches on it as you just start asking questions and then, and then keep asking questions until you find like what you're saying, transfer that over common ground to then be able to have that felt need to be able to minister to that. You know, I think yeah. there's something to that. I, I really do because you know I've uh, in in chaplaincy ministry here lately. I, I've yeah. I've come across some individuals that I have had. You know, of course, HIPAA laws. I can't go into who they are, or what happened necessarily, but I, I can say that I've I've experienced some people that I had absolutely nothing in common with, but the human experience itself is the same. And then when you kind of break into that experience, then you begin to see that there are really are underlying questions that they want to ask. But, you know, sometimes so, you know, all people are different, but it does offer a bridge uh, you know, into into that arena. I think I think that's a it's a the, I love that language, Brian, of bridge and bridging with people um, in another book that I have out on evangelism, I talk about the difference between process and moment in evangelism. Hmm. Um, the moment is what we all aspire to. We want to see that person call out to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, in apologetics, we want to have the close that closes the argument. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we're not called to focus on moments. We're called to, to spend our time looking at the long-term process. I'm building a relationship over conversations. I'm seeing a person grow through phases of doubt, of hurt, of trust. And I may not be there for the kill shot. <laughs> yeah. But is that really what I'm after? Right, no. exactly. God gives the increase. I yeah. want to be there for the process. And, and when I think about common ground in particular, I'm wanting to stay in their process as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because if you think about it, how, how that mindset has changed over the years to where, um, you know, you, you, the street evangelists where they're just hammering on somebody and, and wanting to get that, you know, get that person to, to come to Christ, which everybody wants to, everybody wants to see that happen. But I think it's, I, I honestly, I maybe not more fruitful, but m- maybe my words are lacking here. But maybe it's more. Um, it blesses us when we get a chance to see them, see that light bulb go off in their head. Where it's like, okay, now I've just cracked that door just enough that there's a little bit of light coming through, or the light just got turned on. It might be a dim light, but it turned on, and now I can actually 
know where I need to track to help minister to that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, that I need to rush right in and, and do that. Basically, see them the next time, and you can ask, well, we remember our last conversation? What did you, what did you take away from that? What, what, what can I help you with now? You know, is there, is there another question you have? Is there something that you were thinking on on that? And I think that's a ministry in itself, a, a ministry we got to be patient to see it grow. Yeah. Amen. So, Dr. Gentry, in Chapter 2, you note the relationship between apologetics and discipleship, giving special attention to Jude. Jude is a small book in Scripture, but boy, it is a mighty book, uh, chocked full of some powerful truths. What things can be found in Jude that helps our understanding of the relationship between apologetics and discipleship? I love Jude. Uh Buckle up on this one. <laughs> yeah, Jude, Jude has, has got some wonderful things, not only that he says, but how he says them. Um, so the first thing I would say that Jude offers in terms of uh, apologetics and discipleship is when Jude begins his letter and he says, I was, I was really wanting to talk to you about the things we have in common, but I, was, I found it necessary to to talk to you about, you, you have to contend for the faith once delivered. If we just pause right there, what we have heard is a pastor's heart for the congregation that mm. says, I have to equip you so your faith is not attacked, and when it is attacked, so you know how to defend it. Mm. That is motivated by a shepherd who loves his sheep. So, mm. pastor, if you're wondering, does the Bible really want you to think about apologetics with your conversation, read Jude. And, and by the way, read Jude with a view to this. Christianity in the first century in those Hebrew churches was at stake when Jude was responding. Mm -hmm. It was possible that that light would have been snuffed out, humanly speaking. These teachers had come in and were doing terrible damage, not only with their ideas, but with their morality. And they were helping people draw not only wrong conclusions, but then bad actions. And those two just fed on wow. each other. So when Jude, first of all, says, I, I, I want you to contend earnestly, he's saying that as a pastor who's concerned to protect the sheep. So that, that discipleship powerful. is about sheep being protected so they can grow strong. I think one other thing we take away from Jude is he doesn't hesitate to bring about a full light being shined on doctrinal and moral errors. He doesn't hesitate. As an apologist, he's dealing with really bad thinking, and he says these teachers are saying this, they're denying the, the, the only Lord who bought them, and he, and he just outlines these things that are doctrinally wrong. And then he also says, and they're doing these things, and he talks about their morality. And so when Jude does that, he demonstrates that apologetics for Christians and apologetics for discipleship is teaching people engage ideas, mm. engage conduct. Now, the, the, Jude echoes here something Paul says. Second Timothy 3.16, he talks about Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Doctrine and reproof are right thinking. Correction, instruction, and righteousness are right doing. <laughs> so apologetics in Jude are, let's get our theology yeah. corrected. 
let's get our doctrine sorted out so that our practice looks right. That's awesome. Uh, and, and, he, and he does it in a way, and this is what I love about the way he ends his letter. He does it in a way that recognizes, and this is the other apologetic takeaway from Jude. Some people are just really mixed up and they need a strong hand to reach hold of them by the back of the shirt and say, you're coming with me. <laughs> Rescuing them from the fire. Say, we're not going I down this that. road anymore. Yeah, I get and, that. Yeah, and Jude, Jude does that. And, 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 he, and he talks about how some are saved with fear. He talks about being patient. But he also recognizes there are some things that you just can't tolerate in the church. Yeah. And mm. error will breed error. Right now we are faced in the church with the besetting, deeply dangerous, pernicious, deadly error of critical race theory. Mm. Oh, yeah. You can't have a little bit of that. It's terrible what it does. And so the modern day Jude is saying, this is a problem. This is the doctrinal error, Christian, beware. Here's how you answer it. Here's the moral error, Christian. Here's how you answer it. But then when he wraps up his whole letter with that beautiful doxology, he remembers God keeps us. He talks to the believers about security. But we are, we are doing Jude and injustice if we go to the end of the letter. And we simply quote that doxology about how God is able to keep us and say, look, we're secure without recognizing that. How did Jude get us to security? <laughs> By teaching us how to fight and stand firm. That's what security connects to. That's good stuff. Grabbing right us there. by the scruff of our neck. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, that's almost as if you're talking to, I mean, it's almost as if Jude was written for the modern church because, you know, on the one hand, you, you were talking about bad doctrines and bad ideologies we're facing, but we're also facing numerous scandals in the church. Mm. You know, we, we had a podcast on um, the the just nauseating story of Ravi Zacharias and, and obviously, you know, praying for his family and... Uh, but he's not. He's far from the only one. He, he's they're numerous individuals. So I, I like that draw that you bring. That we need, we need to stand for truth, but we also need to stand for morality, as you find in the in the book of Jude. Mm. Uh, I'm glad that you brought that into uh, bringing it to light that it's a pastoral heart that actually that he's crying out and and saying these things out of that because. I never looked at it that way. I looked at it as a leader, as a leader of the big C church, you know, um, of that time period as, as it's starting to spread out. But I never, I never really looked at it as a, as a pastoral heart ministering to one-on-one, -on -one, to the small group, to the, to the larger group, to the congregation as it goes out. It's, it's, it's spreading out um, to the people around him. That's great. What's interesting in particular about Jude structurally is Jude is written as an oratorical device would be written in its day. So he wrote it to, to preach it. Oh. So in worship services in these Hebrew communities, these, these uh, Hebrew Christian communities, they would have heard the sermon and they would have heard just like the passion of their minister saying, I'm begging you. We have to defend this. So, so it comes across in that pastoral role of it's in the pulpit. I mean, Jude's letter is literally an example of pulpit apologetics. That's what it is. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, so in chapter three, you note the importance of moral apologetics. Hmm. I wonder what moral apologetics is. 
say it tongue in cheek. Uh, you, you know the importance of moral apologetics. So, how can moral apologetics assist the pulpit apologist? And additionally, can you describe the importance of moral apologetics in general? Yeah. Uh, so, so moral apologetics, um, especially the brand, uh, my 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 favorite flavor of it. Uh, that influenced by uh, David Baggett and Jerry Walls talks about the, the fact that there are there are moral facts, there's moral knowledge, so so th- there is a right and wrong, and we can know it, and, and there's such a thing as moral transformation. People can be changed morally, and they do change, and there's more rationality. There, there's actually a thought process that makes sense of this. So when when we think about how does that idea uh, which would entail an approach to defending the existence of God, his attributes, uh, and particularly the Christian teaching about him from morality. We, we find that it connects into our preaching in particular. Um, f- first of all, it, it helps us. So when I evangelize, I want to talk about the good news, right? I mean, the gospel, uh, Ava, uh, the evangel is the good news. Mm-hmm. But what is the good news if there's not an issue first? What is the good news without the bad news? So what moral apologetics brings mm-hmm. to apologetics and preaching is it emphasizes the role of sin in evangelism. Mm-hmm. Because it says this is not just a bad idea. It's fundamentally a moral idea that lays at the heart of the gospel. Jesus didn't die on the cross, and before he died, declaring to Telestai to mean the theology book is finished. He was dealing with the moral separation. And so when when we use moral apologetics in preaching, it really does center evangelism on um, our issue with sin and then it points to the righteousness of God. What do I need? I need God's righteousness. And so the whole idea of the imputation of Christ's righteousness is a moral idea. So there it, it comes right through there. And what's happening in redemption? As as Curtis continues to grow in the Lord and one day will stand before the Lord complete, he has had a moral transformation. Mm-hmm. So the gospel is shot through becoming saved, living saved, enjoying final redemption, it all has that moral element. And so moral apologetics can really come along and I I think uh, help the preacher in that regard. It it also, um, and and this is probably one of my favorite areas, and I admit I came to it late in my life uh, relative to how old I am. You're Uh, just 21, aren't you? That's right. That's exactly right. Be 22 soon. Uh, moral apologetics in particular touches on what is called passional reason. So how, how, how do I come to believe something? Well, there's two things that are always at work. One may have more prominence than the other, but it's always going to be some rational, logical something, the facts of the case for the resurrection. And that's mm-hmm. going to be there. There's going to be that rational, logical, objective piece. But there's also an affective part. There's a subjective. There's a what this means to me is. There's a I have a conviction about this. And the deepest formed faith takes into consideration that rational piece 
and that emotional piece, that mm. objective piece and that subjective piece. And so what moral apologetics does, especially as it relates to preaching, is it helps you to engage that whole person. You engage what they think, you engage how they feel. And sometimes you're going to start with where they feel and you're mm -hmm. going to get to what they think. If I'm doing apologetics with a Mormon and maybe I have an opportunity to address a Mormon group yeah. and I'm evangelizing or I'm preaching and they want to tell me about how they had the burning in their bosom, I'm going to say, let's talk about the basis for what you know you feel being real because we should be able to have a strong emotional connection to what is true. So I hear you saying your strong emotional connection. Now let's validate that are what you are feeling, are those feelings tied to truth? And so then I get into the rational hmm. and I go back and forth. So moral apologetics aids preaching in that way in particular. Uh, and I think it also can dispel when you think about passional reason that dispels the myth that, well, apologetics is just the domain of eggheads who uh, are simply doing logic chopping. <laughs> I don't I don't think Jude was a logic chopper. Wait. I think he was an on-fire preacher. Wait, wait, wait. you got to go back in and say that again because that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it's, so, <laughs> passional reason, if we understand it right, it dispels that idea, that myth that Apologetics is just for eggheads. No, it's not. It's for people who are on fire and love the whole person and want their mind and their heart to connect. How do we love God? Our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength with our passion. Mm. That's how we love God. Mm -hmm. uh, that's wonderful. That's awesome. I, there's so much, so much in that that you touched on. Um, Dr. Gentry, what, what, how can we... It, how can we explain to somebody that we all have a moral compass, but but we it, it's naturally in us, but it's given by God without automatically, you know, jumping around and, and automatically saying that's given by God. How do we go about being able to work through that more the morals, the moral, the morality that we're naturally given to then be able to direct us to a gospel conversation? That's a great question. So, so to, to go back to the fourfold approach of Baggett and Walls, uh, when, you, when you talk about moral facts, moral knowledge, moral uh, transformation, moral rationality. So moral facts, the, 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 the existence of, of moral facts that are mind independent, whether I get it or you get it, they're there, and moral mm -hmm. knowledge. It, it, there's, you're never going to meet a person that isn't aware of them. They may not explain them the same way that you do, but mm -hmm. they have a sense of this is right and this is wrong. And they may say, this is my truth. That's your truth. Get past the <laughs> jargon and hear yeah. they're talking about moral facts and they have an awareness of them. So as we think process versus moment, and as we think common ground, we start that conversation with, well, let's talk about moral facts. Let's talk about your knowledge of them. And then I love this question. Do you think it's possible for people to be better humans? Mm. Just There's not a, a religious, wow. religious tone there. Just do mm. you think it's possible? How is that transformation possible? What is the standard by which you would measure that transformation? I promise at some point you're going to stumble into a higher standard and an opportunity to talk about God. 
Mm. And listen, they don't have to be a Christ follower to give props to Jesus for being a moral exemplar. Let's just assume that the Gospels are unreliable. The myth they're giving us is a myth of a really moral person. Mm. And I found the more I get somebody willing to even talk through or be around those things, the gospel has this sticky effect. And God breaks down barriers in ways that I don't even anticipate when I just get to talking about goodness and transformation. And then the last step is when we can say, now, you know why all this makes sense? You know why there's a rationality to morality? Mm -hmm. Because we're made in the image of a God whose imprimatur is on me. I have a conscience. I have a judicial sentiment. I know when you've done wrong to me. I know when I've done wrong to you. Mm -hmm. And that's pointing me to one who can alleviate me from the shame that I carry because he not only has pointed out my moral shortcomings, he's addressed them, mm -hmm. and that's Christ. So it's a longer conversation, but I promise it's a meaningful one, and it's worth having. Mm-hmm. It's, well, go ahead. Ben. I was just going to say. Speaking of, you know, taking longer. Uh, let me jump into our next question, and, and that's the abductive approach. Sometimes the abductive approach may take a little longer to work through than necessarily the deductive or inductive. So, can you describe the abductive approach? How it differs from the inductive and deductive approaches, and the usefulness of the abductive approach. And and here's we're talking about moral apologetics. Uh, Dr. David Baggett has and Jerry Walls has really, um, probably maybe more so Baggett has really talked about the the importance of the abductive approach to moral apologetics. Yeah. Uh, so deductive induction, deduction, induction, and abduction different ways of getting to the same point. Every Christian who's doing apologetics wants to come to the place where they say, if the, whatever the question is, Jesus is the answer, right? So it's, yeah. it, it's, these are just ways of getting to the answer. Uh, yeah. and, and when we're doing it deductively, it tends to be very, if then, if we start here, we have to go here. Um, and and there's a place for that. Uh, William Lane Craig is the master at presenting arguments deductively. He has a very strong deductive argument for God's existence based on morality. Um, if God does not exist, then objective morals and duties do not exist. Objective moral values and duties do exist, so God exists. That's the the. It's not only is that valid, it's true. All right. Mm -hmm. However. That deductive approach or an inductive approach would be less in, uh, in less affirmative at the end about this is the only possible outcome, but it's real close. The, the only problem with that is that usually isn't how conversations play out. Now, I'm not right. saying there's not a place for it, and it works very well in the debate scenario. Uh, and it may work very well in personal evangelism, but usually what happens in personal evangelism is this, or, or in preaching where you're building a case is this. It's abducted. So I lay out a premise. I have a moral sense of right and wrong. That moral sense of right and wrong points me in the direction of a moral standard. That moral standard 
seems to be something that is beyond our world because it requires a higher standard. Christianity offers this explanation of that. It's God. It's his nature that we're being exposed to immorality. It seems likely to me that the weight of the evidence says that Christianity is the best answer. Now, I've come to, mm -hmm. I'm proclaiming the, the truth of Christianity, but I'm doing it in a way that takes into to the fact that, first of all, we make decisions after layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of evidence is given to us. And sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's, it's very logical, sometimes it's something we push back against, sometimes it's something we immediately respond to. Abduction allows for that cumulativeness of the case to build. And if I miss something in a deductive argument, and they come back and say, your first premise is wrong, they rejected the whole thing. But Ooh. if I'm saying abductively, listen, I think my answer makes really good sense. And I think it's probably the best answer. How does it square with your life experience? Then I keep that conversation going. And by the way, that demonstrates great humility on the part of the apologist. And epistemic humility is in great need among the apologetics community. We oh, need yeah. to be humble enough to say, well, here's something to consider, not I answered you, boom, it's done. And so that, that's where abduction particularly um, is helpful. And, and, and frankly, every sermon I've ever preached and probably every one we've ever heard was more or less abductive because it builds to the best conclusion. And then what do we do? We invite people to make a choice based on the evidence. We never say, I have proven this and that, therefore you must do this. We might do it <laughs> once, but we're looking for work. That's just not how it works. <laughs> it probably That so, probably wouldn't go over with most people. No, no, no. We like to be brought into a decision. Uh, Zig Ziglar used to say, people love to sell themselves, but they don't like to be sold by anybody. Well, abduction helps you sell yourself. It helps yeah. you come to a place where it makes sense. That's good. So I guess when when an apologist is um, when an apologist or or even a pastor that's maybe in a conversation with somebody that's that's asking um, a moral question or what you know anything of the, that sort. Is it possible, or or is it? Uh, should we be uh, equipped to be more fluid in our answer to them, as far as like what you're saying, how William Lane Craig, um, you know, goes about that, where you where you got the facts, you got the you got the wooden, you could say the woodenness of it, and 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 bring it into maybe a little more flow of being able to have that conversation and invite somebody to sell themselves. Would that be um, should we learn how to be more flexible in that? I think so. I, I, I think uh, that we have an obligation to respond to the person we're talking to in the moment. Hmm. Uh, in other hmm. words, I, I need to learn how to engage them the way they are wanting to be engaged. And I, with a view to my long-term goal is to keep this conversation going for the mm -hmm. sake of the gospel. There may be times when deduction or induction are absolutely the order of the day, and Christians need to be versed in that. But I think our default position is going to go to, yeah, but what about this? And here's some more evidence here. And let's layer this on cumulatively. And we know we have a direction that we're moving toward. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think 
that there's a place for all of it. But I think, first of all, most apologetics is intended to be done on the street level, in the pulpit. It's lay people driven, even though it has become a specialist guild in the last 50 years, that is not the biblical picture of it. This is right. what people in the pew are doing. And so if we want people to embrace this and just think of this as naturally as they do talking to the to people about the Lord, it's going to have to have this more abductive feel to it because I think we're fundamentally wired to come to places where we say, well, this really is what makes the most sense for me. What about you? Mm -hmm. And that's abduction. And by the way, we're not in any way denying the absoluteness of truth or the absolute centrality and uniqueness of the Christian message when we're being abducted. We're just, it's, I, I talk in the book about Joshua and Joshua's farewell address is an abductive message to Israel before Joshua goes. And then, and, and, and here's his most abductive, wonderful statement. He lays out all these things that God has done. He gives them all these warnings, and he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Right. All the evidence drives me in this direction, and I really hope you'll see it too. That's that's a beautiful picture of abductive argumentation in Scripture. seems like uh, someone awesome. once said, uh, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, and it really seems like uh, the abductive approach really follows that uh, advice. I think it does. I think it does. And and it's not abductive against deductive or inductive. Oh, sure. But yeah. it, it's it's abductive is, it has, I think, the most explanatory power to how we live among people. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because we we take a moment um, periodically in, in our podcast, whether in the intro or whether as we're closing out, we always, we always tell our listeners to, to get out and engage with the people that are they're involved with and this is great how you're explaining this because this is this is this is what we're saying this is this is how we're saying we want people that listen to Bellator Christie to get out and engage with the people around them is to get out and just ask questions and start start pulling that information up and being able to minister to them they don't have to know everything but they got to be able to at least start the conversation that's exactly right, Curtis. Yeah. Just go out and have a conversation and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, sp speaking of that, you uh, you mentioned a steps approach that you offer in the last chapter. Can you describe the steps approach? Yeah. So so steps is a is a model for preaching apologetically for those who are looking for ways to begin doing it. And and so first we want to distinguish between what's called negative apologetics and positive apologetics. In short, negative apologetics is I'm responding to a critic, an attack on the faith. Positive apologetics is we are presenting a positive statement. Here's why you can trust the Bible. And in each of those instances, uh, what we're doing is we're simply laying out a pathway. So steps for negative apologetics you, you want to specify the apologetic challenge uh, some people say god doesn't exist there i've specified it and they deny it for these reasons and then you want to present or tell the critics best argument i i never want to be guilty of arguing against a straw man i mm -hmm. have to argue about what they're saying and give the best face to it and then once i've done that i want to begin to expose the weaknesses of their argument which means I've got to understand it and I've got to understand my position. 
Um, and then, of course, present the answer to that apologetic challenge. So you were denying the existence of God. Here's your best argument for it. Here's where I think the weakness is. And here's what the Christian faith has to offer in that regard. And then, of course, as you summarize, you transition to a related invitation. And this is a point that I really want to draw out. Apologetics is not an end in itself. Mm-hmm. Apologetics has a goal in mind, and with the unbeliever, it's to share with them the good news of the gospel. I'm defending the faith to share the faith. With, an, with a believer, apologetics is to strengthen their faith so their confidence grows and their trust in the Lord grows. Apologetics is the, the path, but it's not the destination. And that's why transitioning at the mm -hmm. end to a, rel a related invitation is good. And, and likewise, when you think about this in terms of um, doing this with a positive apologetic. So uh, I'm not responding to a critic. I just want to... Here, here are reasons why you can trust the resurrection, for example. Again, I'm gonna, here's what our topic is. Spell it out. People like to know where they're going, right? Mm. Um, tell, tell why it's significant. Very often I find that believers, when they understand why they need to know the Bible is reliable and why they need to know the resurrection is defensible and why they need to know they can defend the existence of God, all of a sudden they go, I need to know how to do that because that really does impact my faith. And it does help me to win my brother or sister who's away from the Lord to Christ. So you, you tell them why is this significant. Uh, then you explain there's a biblical and a rational basis concerning apologetic topics. And by the way, it's not either or. It's not mm -hmm. either I only use scripture or I use philosophy. We use both. Mm -hmm. Jesus mm -hmm. is the greatest virtue ethicist you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. He's the finest philosophical mind ever formed. And he knew the Bible. And he saw those two things as working together. And you don't have to have degrees in these things to mm -hmm. recognize we know what it sounds like to make sense. And we know the Bible says this. Those two things come together when we're dealing with whatever that apologetic mm -hmm. topic is. And then the, the P in the steps when you're doing positive apologetics is practically apply the apologetic topic for the hearers. So I have a, a book coming out, and there'll be a short article on this tomorrow on the moralapologetics.com website, as a matter of fact, dealing with the relationship between hope and the resurrection and counseling, especially those with PTSD. Mm. That is mm. practically applying why the resurrection can be defended to real life. So, so people are... People aren't usually rejecting apologetics. They're rejecting apologetics that are only theoretical. You put it in where they live, and all of a sudden they're interested in being an apologist. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. That's exactly what Peter does. He talks to suffering people and says, now here's why you need to know why you believe what you believe. Mm. And then, of course, the steps there at the end, uh, the S in the positive version is, again, summarize and transition to a related invitation. We're always telling people and delivering our messages because we're asking them to do something. Uh, believe, accept, go forward, don't stop questioning, whatever the case may be. So the steps model, Brian, back to your original question, is uh, most most preachers get to this point in the book and like, I, yeah, but I could never do this. Like, well, here's a simple <laughs> model. And I've used this model, and I've taught this model this way, and I have been amazed, even within a sermon, I can do a steps to bring an apologetic point 
and it, it just it connects oh, awesome. pretty well. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go too deep into this, but <laughs> so we're using this, uh, this in your in your format steps. You know, it kind of is almost like um, the you know the Romans road back in the day is kind of out of the picture now and we're actually getting to have a discussion about why that person is stumbling and, and be able to pull them along to actually then show them Christ as somebody that actually does care. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. And, and you know, have you ever wondered why the Lord uses alliterations in Scripture? Why is the 119th Psalm following the Hebrew alphabet? Why does he use things like chiasms and inclusios, all these? It's because we not only need to hear God's Word, but we need to have hooks to hang God's Word on. So mm -hmm. we, should, we should gravitate toward tools like this. And, and I'm not the first by any stretch. Brian has a wonderful one in defending the resurrection. Um and his acrostic that he uses, and there are lots of them out there. But this is how we put it in the hands of people, and they go, okay, I can do that. I can walk mm -hmm. through these steps. Mm -hmm. you, you kind of get in my dissertation now. I'm looking at uh, <laughs> possible it might clues. Have in, <laughs> might, might have been in your book, too. I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <that's right>. <laughs> So what, one last question, and before we close up, we want to, uh, after this question, we want to give you some time to uh, – talk about uh, a couple of important ministries. So first, it's the last question. Pastors and churches face numerous obstacles. Do you hold out hope for the American church? I mean, we know Christianity is going to continue until the Lord comes, but do you hold out hope for the American church? And if so, what word of encouragement can you offer to our listeners? I hold out hope for the Christians in America. Uh, my concern about the church in America is because we have a generation of believers who have embraced, uncritically so, the elements of progressive Christianity, of wokeness, they probably, short of some major revival in religion, are going to be in the churches that grow numerically. They will have the resources. They will have the numbers. Resources and numbers do not always correspond to truth. We Amen. never want to forget that. Amen. So if that is to be the case, and I pray that we have a great revival of religion, but trends are moving mm -hmm. in that way. Christians in America who want to truly be salt and light and not lose their saltiness, not become dark. Stay away from that progressive emphasis. It's a lie. It's a trap. It will suck the life out of you and everybody around you. Stand firm for the faith once delivered. My admonition is what Jude said. Contend earnestly for the faith once delivered. Know it. Believe it. Defend it. And then do that again. Know it. Leave it, defend it. Repeat. Because Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That doesn't mean the American church uh, is promised anything long term. Mm -hmm. And and unless we get this apologetic thinking, I'm not saying I'm the 
answer to it all. But th things like this, unless we can infuse apologetics into our preaching, uh, we're living in the new Athens. Hmm. We are closer to what Paul dealt with than anybody probably since Paul. <laughs> and we need to gear up accordingly. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, isn't that, uh, you know, Paul's basis of his of his preaching and ministry is is he was bringing apologetics with the true with with Christ along with the interaction of the culture he was involved with. Exactly right. Exactly right, Curtis. So, so TJ, you, we we have a couple ministries we want to mention right quick. Uh, first and foremost, you are the uh, executive director of moralapologetics.com, and I have the uh, privilege uh, to be part of that team. So explain, if you will, the, uh, the moralapologetics.com, what you'll find at the website, what you'll find with the ministry. Yeah, so so moralapologetics.com was started by my, my dear friend Dave Baggett several years ago. And the goal of moralapologetics.com is to provide an online presence where substantive, uh, relevant discussions around the themes of the fourfold moral argument that Dave and Jerry Walls put forth about moral facts, moral knowledge, uh, moral transformation, and moral rationality, where we can talk about those themes. Uh, and it, it has grown into a platform, kind of a, a, a promulgation center, if you will, for lots of different avenues to approaching the discussion of apologetics, specifically through the lens of morality. And, and Brian, as you're one of our uh, very important associate editors, uh, your recent work on Loki uh, and the two articles you've done on that are great examples of what the site stands for, taking meaningful apologetic content, connecting it to sometimes overt, sometimes implicit moral concerns, and promoting the gospel through that. So, so moralapologetics.com is also related to, although it is a separate ministry, but it's very closely related, the Center for Moral Apologetics at Houston Baptist University. Um, Dave Baggett is the executive director there. And also Moral Apologetics Press, um, which is uh, the publishing arm of the ministry. I've got a a book coming out here in a little while on Thomas Aquinas and the moral argument through them, for example. So that's that's moralapologetics.com. I am privileged and blessed to be the executive editor there. We have a wonderful team. And as I said, Brian, you're a big part of that. So, quick question. How many books have you written? Uh, I think my count right now, one. I think I'm on my seventh book right now. Holy guacamole. I got to get busy. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, once you write it down, you're really accountable for it. Yeah. And Augustine did spend a lot of his later life taking back things he said. So <laughs> I, I never forget that. There's always that. That's true. <laughs> That's <right>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> When you also have a, uh, a podcast, another ministry called Good Reasons, uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about that ministry? Yeah, so Good Reasons is a really fun, um, it's kind of in its, in its infancy, uh, apologetics initiative that I'm, I'm co-founder alongside of Tony Williams. Um, Tony is like our very own Jay Warner Wallace. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a law enforcement officer, he's a great apologist, he's a clear thinker, he's just a a delightful human being all around. And so Tony and I, about a year ago, said, hey, let's see if we can collaborate together. And what has come of it is good reasons apologetics. And it has 
two points of emphasis. Uh, good Reasons Apologetics, one, wants to give good reasons for faith. And so there we are engaging both positive and negative apologetics. So we're answering skeptics through the podcast, through writing, and we're also encouraging uh, positive reasons. And then the other side is good reasons for ministry, where we're intentionally seeking to help ministers, counselors, evangelists, pastors, uh, campus ministers, chaplains, uh, radio hosts, whatever, find ways to integrate apologetics into their ministry. And the reason it's called good reasons, because the center of it, the nexus at which all these things meet, is our commitment to the fundamentals of moral apologetics and, and the goodness of God. Well, amen. What a delight. The Where book is... Find that at? So uh, right now we have a Facebook presence. If you look up Good Reasons Apologetics, uh, we also have de we have a lot more material done than we have released. <laughs> um, some of uh, Tony recently had an article appear on one good reason for God's existence on moralapologetics.com. Uh, we have a website that's waiting to launch, but our for sure you can find us on Facebook right now, and we're hoping to grow that more. By you know, honestly. Uh, Curtis, the work you and Brian are doing with Bellator Christie is a really good example of how this can happen. Absolutely. Before we turn it over to Curtis, just want to say the book is Pulpit Apologist, The Vital Link Between Preaching and Apologetics. Go get your copy. It's published by With and Stock. And so we want to thank you. Thank uh, Dr. Thomas Jefferson Gentry, TJ Gentry, <laughs> for being with us today. And we hope to get him back real soon. So we're going to turn it back to Curtis at this time. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Dr. T.J. Gentry. Um, we just want to thank him. Thank him for coming on the podcast and, and showing up. Um, so, Bellator Christie family, um, pray for revival in the truth of Christ. That's what we need. Uh, we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christmas Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, Hold so drone, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast and BellatorChristi.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Hello, this is Brian Chilton, and this is your August 2021 Night Sky Report. August has a lot of different things in the, in the night sky that you'll want to catch. Coming up August 2nd, 
Saturn is at its opposition. On this day, the ring planet will be at its closest approach to Earth, and its face will be fully illuminated by the sun. It'll be brighter than at any other time of the year, and it will actually be visible all night long. It's the best time to view and photograph Saturn and its moons. A medium-sized or larger telescope will allow you to see Saturn's rings and a few of its brightest moons. You want to make sure to go out and view Saturn on August 2nd. Coming up on August 8th, there'll be a new moon. Uh, be, the moon will be located on the same side of the Earth as the sun and will not be visible in the night sky. And so this makes for some great stargazing uh, on this time. So with the new moon on August 8th and Saturn uh, shining bright on August 2nd, that'll be a great time to go out and check out the, wing, the uh, ringed planet. Coming up August 12th and the 13th, in what is perhaps one of the greatest meteor showers of the year, the Perseids will be in town and in the night sky. The Perseids is one of the best meteor showers to observe, producing up to 60 meteors per hour at its peak. It is produced by Comet Swift-Tuttle, which was discovered in 1862. The Perseids are famous for producing a large number of bright meteors, and the shower runs annually from July 17th to August 24th. It peaks this year on the night of August 12th and the morning of August 13th. So pray for clear skies uh, on these days and uh, go out and be sure to check. So what is a spectacular meteor shower? I've gone out many times before to check out the Perseids and they do not disappoint. Coming up on August 19th, Jupiter is at opposition. The giant planet will be at its closest approach to Earth, and its face will be fully illuminated by the sun. Therefore, it will be brighter than any other time of the year, and like Saturn, it will be visible all night long. So this is the best time to view and photograph Jupiter and its moons. Like with Saturn, a good medium-sized telescope should be able to show you some of the details in Jupiter's cloud bands. And so I've gone out before and uh, caught Jupiter at the right time and even been able to see the Great Red Storm. So you want to go out August 19th to catch Jupiter at opposition. August 22nd, the moon will be full. This will be called the Blue Moon. It'll be located on the opposite side of the Earth as the sun and its face will be nearly fully illuminated. And so you want to go out and uh, catch the blue moon. Uh, this full moon was known by early Native American tribes as the sturgeon moon because its large sturgeon fish of the Great Lakes and other major lakes were more easily caught at this time of the year. So it's also been called the green corn moon and the grain moon. Since this is the third of four full moons in the season, it's known as the Blue Moon. This rare calendar event only happens once every few years, giving rise to the term once in a blue moon. There are normally only three full moons in each season of the year, but since full moons occur every 29.53 days, occasionally a season will contain four full moons. And so this happens on August 22nd. There's a lot of great things to catch in the night sky. And it's our prayer that you go out and observe the glory and beauty of the universe that God has created. This is Brian Chilton for the Bellator Christie Podcast, reminding you to keep looking up.
Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristi.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christie Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristie.com and the Bellator Christie Podcast.